All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast. It's episode 264. It is Thanksgiving week. Uh, we are getting ready to eat some turkey. We're closing deals. We're doing our thing. This is the podcast where young salespeople come to grow their sales career. Um, pumped for this episode. I'm actually doing a throwback. One of the, uh, this is actually the number one highest downloaded podcast of 2021 for this show, episode 199. Uh, so 60-something episodes ago when it came out, uh, which is with Ryan Heafy. Ryan Heafy is the director of sales at Qualia. And God damn, did we have a good conversation. We talked about how Qualia is creating the Navy SEALs of sales teams. If that speaks to you, I'm someone that is very fascinated by Navy SEALs. I love Jocko Willink, David Goggins, the list goes on and on. Um, and I'm fascinated by that. And, uh, you know, Ryan talks about how he and the team are, are essentially trying to create that. Just the most tactical, disciplined, um, rock star, A-plus players uh, of sales and, and being able to put them through the system. And Qualia has had massive success as a unicorn, uh, tons of funding, tons of growth there. So, um, they, and they're hiring, by the way. So this is not a paid ad, but if you are out in the market and you're out in Austin, Texas, um, definitely check these guys out. Um, it's a great place to go uh, if you want to grow your sales career and make some money and uh, and just grow as an overall salesperson. So Ryan and I talk about that. We talk about his journey from you know being uh, you know uh, working in the Caribbean straight out of school, not really sure what to do with his life. He had a son, absolutely changed his life, changed the course of his career. It's a really good conversation, guys, and uh, a ton. To learn from this as we're trying to grow and evolve. So um, I'm excited for that. We'll get to it in a minute. Before we do, first and foremost, wherever you're listening, please subscribe and leave a review if you're on Apple or just subscribe if you're on Spotify, YouTube, Google, wherever you're listening to this. I'd really appreciate it. It'll take you less than a minute and it really helps in getting more listeners, growing our reach, getting better content for you all. Um, you can learn more about me. I post every day on LinkedIn. I'm Tom Alamo. I'm Tommy Tahoe on Instagram and Twitter. Um, so really appreciate any love and support. I've got a newsletter that goes out um, about once a month that lists you know, some of my thoughts and sales. So you can check that out. Ton of content coming your way. So please, any support, share a friend, be a friend. Um, I would really appreciate it. The sponsor of this podcast is Postal.io. Postal helps create a curated experience for your customers and prospects. So uh, you can send them gifts, right? It could be a $5 Starbucks gift card before your intro call with them. It could be you know, a bottle of wine after doing a deal as a thank you. It could be a curated experience where you have your 10 top prospects all having an IPA you know, beer tasting together uh, and everything in between. So definitely check them out at postal.io. It's a great way to create relationships in the virtual world where we're not seeing people in person or not as much. So um, check them out. Um, without further ado, I hope you really enjoy this conversation with Ryan Heafy from Qualia, Austin, Texas. Hook them. Let's go. Ryan Heafy, good morning. How you doing, man? Good morning. I'm doing well. It's an honor, Tom. We, we were just saying anyone that passes 
the Scott Lee's bar of, uh, of acceptance <laughs> and recommendation is someone that is welcome on this show. I, I asked him, you know, who is someone that you don't hear a lot about that isn't all over LinkedIn, that isn't all posting all over the place, that is just a really great sales practitioner, sales leader, someone that the audience needs to hear from. And you were the only name that he mentioned. Uh, so I know he'll be excited to, to hear this episode. Yeah, Scott's a, a good buddy of mine, and uh, we've worked together uh, at a couple of different companies over over the years. And he was actually the person who gave me my very first start in sales. So it's kind of a serendipitous. That's great. Yeah. And well, I want to get into to that, uh, but before we do, I you have an interesting start to your career that I'd be remiss not to bring up, right? So uh, for, at least from LinkedIn, it looks like you graduated school in 2012 and spend a year as the concierge at the Ritz-Carlton uh, in, in St. Thomas. So uh, we, we got to get into that. And maybe can you talk about what was that decision-making process like coming out of school and, and what made you do that type of a drastic move from, uh, you know, maybe the, the more typical traditional path of getting into a nine-to-five type of job elsewhere? Yeah, sure. So I think um, it, it's probably what, what a lot of people go through when they're coming out of school. I uh, graduated from the University of Central Florida, got my degree in uh, political science, um, had really no interest in pursuing anything in politics. I just found while I was in school that it was a topic that uh, that was relevant. It had a, an effect on my life. It was something I was interested in. But of course, you know, coming out of school, you're always like, what do I do now? So, um, St. Thomas. Yeah, it was kind of a, a wild move. I ended up kind of just selling everything I had and applied for the job and, and got it and uh, and decided to go that route. So while I was living in St. Thomas, I worked at the Ritz-Carlton. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard for them to keep staff out there because it is, it's a remote island, so it's difficult for them to keep employees. So really, you end up wearing a lot of different hats. I mean, I was uh, running drinks at the pool. I was doing things on the beach. Um, but outside of what you might call my day job at the Ritz Carlton, I was also working at, um, basically like a fancy kind of wine lounge restaurant. And so I would, uh, you know, finish up midday at, at the Ritz Carlton after starting an 8am shift, I'd get out on my paddleboard for maybe an hour, jump into my next set of clothes, go work at this other place. And uh, at about 11 o'clock at night, every night, that place would sort of shut down their dining and become more of a um, more, more of a lounge type vibe. And I would DJ there until about three o'clock in the morning and then start all over. <laughs> so I was I was working three jobs around the clock. But the beauty, again, is that, you know, even if it's an hour break that you catch, you're on vacation in the in the Caribbean, man. So that's a, a cool time. that's a cool life. Did you have trouble? because it is more of that remote destination for travelers, did you have trouble like making friends or finding people to, to hang out with or would you hang out with tourists or what was that like? Yeah, it, that's a really good question. Um, surprisingly, no. Um, I, made, I made a lot of friends, as you can imagine, there were a lot of people like me at the time who were you know, mid twenties and um, you know, just trying to figure out what the next thing to do was. Some of them were boat captains and the other ones were bartending and, and doing whatever. But um, a good buddy of mine um, that I made while I was living out there, 
um, part of what he did on the island is he would book bands for bars and restaurants and things like that. And um, stateside, you know, of course, Florida is one of the closest places to that region. And um, he ended up booking a, a bunch of bands that, um, that were musician friends of mine from Florida. So I actually had friends kind of touring through while I was staying there. It was, it was a good time. It was pretty good. Nice. That sounds, and like, you know, the show's called Millennial Sales. There's nothing more millennial uh, than, you know, going, graduating from college, going to St. Thomas and working three different jobs there and just kind of living there for a year and kind of taking that, uh, just taking your path off of the, what you know, the, the traditional thing would do once you graduate school. So I love that. Um, how, how did you then go from there to into sales? What was that transition? Did Was it like, all right, I, I've done this for a year. Uh, I'm not going to do this forever type of situation. Or was it a financial concern or what, what kind of brought you back to, uh, to the United States? Yeah, I think, you know, again, living out in the, in the Caribbean is awesome. It's beautiful. Um, but as you can imagine, there's not a lot of opportunity, like unless you're, unless you're staying in hospitality or you are rich enough to vacation there six months out of the year, which a lot of people do too. Um, you know, there's not a career coming at you, basically. And working three hours around the clock, or three jobs around the clock, um, whatever amount of hours a day that is, is obviously exhausting. And what began to happen would be that companies would be sending their sales teams out to the Ritz-Carlton for their President's Club. And I would be, you know, catering to these people, hanging out for them while they stayed for a week. Uh, I was getting job offers left and right to go join, you know, uh, Edward uh, Jones and all these financial companies um, offering me opportunities. And uh, I think it kind of just spurred in my mind that I was tired of serving and, and one day I wanted to be served and that I'd have to, you know, go out and, and really make something of myself. So uh, after about a year, I moved back to Florida and kind of regrouped, if you will, and um, ended up putting out job applications pretty much all over. I mean, all over Austin, I was interested in uh, some in Colorado, uh, very millennial of me, uh, <laughs> and ended up getting an interview, um, a Skype interview with Scott Leeson after the conversation. He basically said, you know, the, the job is yours if you want it, come on out. And so I once again sold everything I had, <laughs> packed it all into my car, put my dog in the car and, and drove out to start to start on a Monday with uh, not even anywhere to live just yet. Man, that's <laughs> crazy. So what made you not want to take those jobs that were being offered to you at say Edward Jones? Was it that you just weren't quite sure that like sparked the, the, the thought in your mind and you weren't quite sure at that point or you just weren't interested in that type of sales or, or what, what, why did you not go with them? Um, I think part of it, uh, part of it was that I just didn't really even at the time like know much about those type of companies and what they did. Uh, the other thing is, you know, you also don't know how serious someone drunk on the beach at President's Club is about offering you a job. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know my, I know my former CEO is a, uh, is a, just an ultimate sales guy at heart. So any President's Club, any dinner with a client, any, you know, stop to Starbucks, there's always a potential job offer or something going in or, <laughs> or some kind of a recruit session happening. So um, I, I know the, I know the type, but uh, that's awesome. So uh, I love the story of you. So you're coming in and 
you know, you, you have the Skype interview with Scott, the job's yours. You, you move on out again. Um, I want to read something for you and, uh, and get your perspective. So I'm on, you know, I'm on your LinkedIn okay. and, uh, I could see a recommendation from Scott Lease. And first of all, Scott's just going to love how much we're talking about him, I'm sure. But he said, um, I have worked with Ryan at two companies and he's been two different people. Who he is now is a testament to the amount of effort and energies put forth into growth and personal development. He went from a rep who needed my help to close the front door at company A to somebody fundamentally vital to the success of our sales org at company B. I can confidently say that his maturation and ability are top five success stories I've been witness to. He's going to make one hell of a VP of sales in the near future and just keeps getting better. Uh, you know, that says one or two more sentences and says, I could not recommend Ryan strongly enough. So, whoo, um, powerful words from someone that has seen probably his fair share of success stories um, in your top five all time, he's saying, and quite a drastic difference. So walk me through that. Walk me through the difference of the Ryan that walked in in company A, couldn't close the front door to... Ryan at Company B that's helping to drive the revenue at, um, you know, one of the hottest, fastest growing companies in the country or in the world? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. And, uh, you know, I, I was actually watching your episode with um, Justin Welsh uh, recently. And uh, although he and I have never met, never spoken or anything like that, I actually really identified with um, this same sort of question that you asked him. I think it was just a combination of a number of different factors. You know, my first opportunity under Scott was um, at a company called Outbound Engine. A lot of people know it. It's a transactional sale. It's high velocity. It was an extremely large sales floor of about 100, 100 reps, a uh, very high rep turnover, um, pretty pretty cutthroat, right? So that's that's where I learned a lot of the the basics and kind of had my sales boot camp and, and worked my butt off making, you know, 150 calls a day and, and all that fun stuff. Um, and, and to be really candid, you know, I was number one rookie in my class and, and all that good stuff, but I was extremely streaky. You know, I'd have uh, a fantastic month followed by two terrible months, followed by a great month, followed by two terrible months. And that, that's just the kind of rep I was. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with I was doing what I was told to do to be successful, but I think deep down it hadn't really clicked. Um, and I could probably elaborate on that more, but I, I was doing what I was told and it was working, but I'm not sure I really understood what I was doing. And, uh, and, and so, you know, moving out of that role, I guess to, to fast forward, moving out of that role, some things happened in my life. I, uh, I ended up having having a child. I have a four-year-old son now. And uh, things like that really tend to change your perspective. I think for me, one of the biggest things that that changed is, you know, you, you kind of, I'll, I'll speak to the millennials here, you kind of go through most of your life feeling like you're a kid, right? And then you come out of college and you still kind of feel like you're a kid in the, in the, job industry, everybody's senior to you, everybody has more experience than you. And I think that that can really um, prevent young sales reps from having the confidence and conviction that they need to influence people who are particularly 
their senior, if not by age, by experience in whatever particular market they're in. So all that's to say, you know, when all of a sudden there's a, a new life on the line that you're responsible for, I think a lot of that that fear and, and feeling inferior kind of goes away and, and you can step into this level of confidence where it's like, nobody can tell me nothing, <laughs> you know? So um, I, I think that kind of helped me uh, personally develop into somebody who was um, just had a lot more conviction in, in what I was doing and what I was saying. And as I moved out of my role at um, Outbound Engine, I, I ended up working at another company with a, a totally different vibe. It was, you know, four sales reps in, in, in sharing an office space with a law firm in an old historic house in downtown uh, Austin. And uh, un, unlike um, kind of how outbound engine operated like a well-oiled machine and you kind of just fit into the machine and do what's already running this other opportunity um had like practically nothing built um so it really took me to be successful to um I, I really had to like do a lot of other stuff that i had never done before like pieces of sales operations pieces of uh lead generation um things like that and I think having the opportunity to really take ownership in, in everything made so many things click for me and actually understand why and what I was doing in, in my sales process. And um, yeah, you know, I think that was kind of a big turning point to where I wasn't just doing what I was told. I was, I was creating and, and actually like empowering what we were doing. Yeah, and I love the, uh, the thought of the change in perspective with your son, right? Like cold calls are, can be scary, Yeah. but you know, it's scarier, like not being able to, you know, uh, afford his next meal or be able to pay for, you know, his clothes down the line or his school or whatever, you know, all those things that I'm sure pop into your mind as a, as a new parent uh, of all the things that are now super important to you that weren't even on your mind, you know, a year ago, probably. So, um, I'd have to imagine, I don't have kids, but I have to imagine the, the tremendous shift there. And I even feel that as someone that, you know, I recently got engaged to my girlfriend. And so even just knowing that that is like a, that's a commitment, right? That like I've, I'm, I've made and, and I'm going to continue to make is like, things become a little bit more real, you know? And like, you do start to think about the future more. And I think there's a lot of power in that, that you, you can overlook some of the things that may have caused you to procrastinate before or sweating the small stuff before um, and helps you to really kind of consider the big picture. And I, I would imagine that, that having children is probably a, you know, a, an additional level of that. Absolutely. I mean, uh, to, to elaborate on the way you put it, um, I think a lot of people have their own reasons for doing whatever, their own reasons for wanting to be successful, their own reasons for being committed. And I think that prior to that, uh, maybe maybe I struggled with um, having anything at stake. You know, it's kind of just me, and I'll be fine, and you know, I'll get by. And, and then all of a sudden, you have so much at stake, and um, the mind shift, the mindset kind of shifts to, you know, I owe this little dude every single minute of my waking day, and I and I'm gonna make it happen. And uh, so it, it is, a, it's a good empowering feeling, and I, I think it did a lot for me for sure. So, and when you talked about how you 
in the second company that you were at, it was, there was a lot less process. You had to figure out how to do things that are outside of, or were outside of the scope of your first sales job and maybe outside of the scope of just bigger companies, more well-oiled machines. And uh, could you give some, some more detailed examples? Because I, I think there's probably a lot of listeners that maybe they're working for one of those oiled machines and they say, oh, maybe it'd be interesting to be one of the first AEs at a company or go somewhere that's a seed stage or a series A company um, because you want to be part of that growth engine. But there are those other responsibilities. So maybe you could elaborate on uh, you know, any of the stories or, or anything, you know, in particular that you did um, that, you know, was probably outside what you thought the normal scope of a sales rep would be. Totally. Yeah. So um, the company that I don't mind mentioning, they're a great company. It's called Rev. Um, they uh, basically provide transcription, translation, um, and closed captioning services. And um, what's interesting is, you know, being placed into that role, Anybody you can think of who can use those services could be a customer. So then you start, brain, uh, you know, running your brain. Okay, closed captioning services. I can contact uh, universities for their online learning programs. Um, I can contact broadcast television stations. I can contact, and you start to think of all these things. And so, you know, previously, um, a day in the life was I had a dialer and everything was loaded in there and I press go and I'm on the phone with somebody, <laughs> you know? And then now, now I'm, you know, I'm basically given free reign to like decide who your customer profile is going to be and get after them. And so, you know, I asked for uh, a license for Zoom info and I started building lists by, by category of what type of business. Um, and I think uh, another aspect, again, you know, when you're just kind of smiling and dialing through a dialer, you don't really have to think about uh, pipeline management and at what stages and different prospects might be in. Um, but, you know, in the absence of that, you now have a whole system of record in Salesforce or whatever you're using, um, hundreds and thousands and thousands and thousands of leads. And it's like, you have to find a way to manage them all properly. So you have to label them, you have to create stages, you have to bucket them and keep them organized. So um, I would say like, that was my first scratch on the surface of learning what pipeline management even was. And I kind of just had to figure it out. And, uh, you know, to this day, I'm huge on pipeline management and forecasting and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah, I think those are a couple examples of just things that immediately had to level up. And, and in a lot of ways, uh, I had to learn myself. E even at this time, um, there was no sales leadership and our VP of sales was in San Francisco while the four or five, six of us were here in Austin. So we were just kind of winging it. <laughs> like lone, lone wolfing it a little yeah. bit. So did you have, um, at, a, at an earlier stage company like that, were there any issues or uh, challenges as it relates to like quota, for example, and, and my imagination is like, if you're coming from somewhere that they're still building up the engine, they might not know what a salesperson's quota should be, right? If you're going at that type of hyper growth where it's like, it's way under or it's way over or um, because you do have to spend so much time doing all those kind of extracurriculars outside of the normal calls to, you know, prospects and building proposals and all the other things that you need to do. Uh, I'm just curious, was, was that, was that ever something that came up as a challenge or, um, or not really? I'd say, 
it somewhat was. I mean, in my first week or two, um, I, I broke the model. I, I flat out just <laughs> what they told me to do because um, I had figured out another way to do it um, by, by basically like thinking of markets that they hadn't thought of to reach out to. And then I built, built out a list, pulled everything in from Zoom info, pulled it in from LinkedIn. Um, and just like, you know, I was working till seven o'clock at night, every night, just pounding away. And then I just, it was all green field. They just gobbled it all up. So immediately broke the model and, and they definitely had to adjust to, to, you know, find some sort of middle ground of, of where the goal should be. Um, but yeah. And I like the thought of, uh, I heard someone uh, use this word. I don't even know if it's a real word, but intrapreneurship. Right. Instead of being an entrepreneur where you start your own company, it's like you you bring that entrepreneurial mindset internally to a company. And it, it, it sounds like that's what you did there. It's like, well, here's what we do. And but, you know, really, here's just the goal and find a way to get there. And it sounds like you just, you know, even in the first two weeks, we're like this old, you know, the old playbook here. This is let's throw this thing out. There's a whole new way that we can go about doing this. So I think that's something to highlight again for people that um let's say that in your mind that the, the current playbook's not working for you um, to, to try to come up with solutions. And I think the beautiful part of being a salesperson, if you have the right leader that lets you be autonomous is that you can use your creativity to try to find another way. As long as you get to the ultimate goal, you can, there's a lot of different paths that can get you there. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think in this particular instance, I, I wouldn't say that it was um, a freedom granted by by leadership. I think it was more of an absence of leadership that, you know, birthed the opportunity for me to be able to do that. Um, and I will say, you know, fast forward all these years now being in sales leadership, um, one thing that I advise a lot of people against is coming in and trying to reinvent the wheel right off the bat because, you know, take Qualia, for example, it, it, we've been selling this product for four years and we're on a, a really hot streak, a really hot roll right now. So uh, one can imagine we kind of know mostly what we're doing. But that said, um, I, I can truly say that I rely on sort of the creativity and the, um, the ideas that come from my team, my reps. Um, I want to hear that all day long. If they have an idea, of a different way we could prospect, a different way we can do something, I want to know about that stuff but I don't want it to be just kind of done ad hoc because you miss the opportunity to track it, to measure it, to see, you know, is it truly successful or is this kind of a one-off case that you thought worked? And then if we find something by measuring it and tracking it, that it, it is truly a more effective or, or a successful way to do something, we're obviously gonna want everybody to start doing it that way and scale it out. So um, definitely, I mean, for other listeners, uh, out there, if, if you have ideas, you should bring those to your leadership, um, but present to them a way that maybe you can measure or track your idea to prove that it's actually successful. And um, if you could do that, they'll definitely be smiling at you. <laughs> so, um, so you brought up quality. I want to get, I want to get into that because it's such a great success story. I'm curious, was, was Scott running Qualia when you first landed there or he did he come after? Because I, I, I'm, I'm imagining you, right, as the first company that, you know, Scott said, you know, maybe there was, you learned on the fly a little bit, um, but he said, you know, 
he needed my help to close the front door. And then it sounds like over time you transitioned to who you are today and, and grew and, you know, went through a lot of personal development. So I guess my question is what, what did Scott see in you? If he recruited you that second time uh, or hired you the second time, what, what do you think he saw in you at that point that made him want to take another shot with you? You know, um, this is a, this is a fun part of the story. This is a good part of the story. All right, let's do it. <laughs> I would say um, at that time, uh, you know, Scott and, ha- Scott and I had a, a bit of a complicated relationship. I had been in his office many, many a time for not, not the greatest of re- reasons as it related to my performance over the years. And um, candidly, he had reached out to a friend of mine about Qualia and, and basically said, you know, I'm, I'm putting together a team, um, blah, blah, blah. The friend of mine was comfortable where they were at and really had no interest in taking it and mentioned it to me. And I, and I was really interested in it for, you know, for long story short, all, all the reasons that I, that I felt were lacking at the, at the company or position I was in. And so I basically called Scott and, and told him that I was interested in the role he had offered to this other person. And, um, you know, if, if I could recall, his response was probably something like, what's going to be different this time? <laughs> yeah. So uh, at, at that point, um, I, really, I really had to resell Scott on, on myself. But at, as we have described here, you know, a lot had changed for me already. I, I had started a family. Um, I was working my butt off. I was really successful in the role I was in. As I mentioned, broken the model. I was doing so much. And um, whatever it was that I said at the time convinced him to give me the opportunity. So I ended up starting as an AE with the first um, 12, 12 hires um, in Austin for Qualia. And at that time, that, that's all we had in Austin was the 12 of us and Scott. So... And and what's it like working for him, especially like, I imagine that you may have maybe had a short leash the second time around, right? You had to kind of sell him on getting in there. And so he may have had his eye on you and said, all right, I, you know, I'll take you for your word, but you know, I got my eye on you is, I don't know. I'm just assuming that might be the case, whether he said that or not. Like, was he, was he a hard ass? Was he, uh, like, was he, was he really trying to like, inspire people a lot and like give speeches a lot or you know like what what was it like to work for yeah he'll he'll probably kill me for saying this but definitely (laughs) you know there's a reputation surrounding scott that he's a uh, a hard ass and he'll yell at you and blah 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 but the reality is deep down he's he's a big soft teddy bear and he's passionate about (laughs) the next guy hold on we've got we've got to i just got to make sure everyone (laughs) <laughs> no scott shoot him a message let him know that you know ryan called him a teddy bear i want 100 messages in his inbox today that that call him a teddy bear all right you could you could go on <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's he's gonna love that but you know um if i think about scott as as my buddy and mentor and and whatever it, he is to me you know i think he's probably had a little bit of um of a development himself you know he he was at main street hub and outbound where he was um, doing, you know, leading a very cutthroat type of sale for a huge sales floor. I mean, it's almost impossible at that point for him to even know every face that is on the team. And, uh, 
And so it takes a, a little bit, I think it takes a little bit more discipline and a little more seriousness to, to manage all that. But moving to Qualia, you know, the way that he used to describe it, and this resonates with me to this day, and, and I still explain this to my team is, you know, what he actually told me was, I'm putting together this team. It's not going to be 100 people, you know, grinding on a sales floor. It is going to be, you know, 10 to 12 of the Navy SEALs of salespeople in Austin. We're going to be the best team, and we're going to grow this thing massively. And uh, I, I keep that in mind to this day that, you know, I want my team at Qualia to be the Navy SEALs of, of salespeople in Austin. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think that obviously 12 people versus 100 people is a lot more of an intimate team. You know, we had the opportunity to do, um, I think, you know, one time we did a, a panic room um, type of scenario with him. And it, it, it's just a lot more different vibe of leadership. So I would say he uh, he got a little soft on us, but <laughs> in a great way, in, in a great way. I, I still, you know, Scott's attitude is kind of just show me what show me what you can do. He's not somebody who micromanages and and gets on you. So, you know, you do have sort of that extended leash to just go out there and prove results. And then, you know, he wants you to come to him with anything that he can help you with. He's not going to jump down your throat to, to provide it. So, yeah. And so when you talk about nowadays, you, you're continuing to keep in mind, like, Hey, you want to build the Navy seals of, of a sales team. What stands out to you as some of those characteristics? When I think about a real Navy seal, when I think about anyone in the military, everyone, you know, is, is, is super impressive. And that's what they, you know, it just, you know, the courage and the, the stamina and everything that you need to, to be in the military um, is amazing. And then the Navy SEAL is like the top, top echelon physically, mentally, emotionally, strategically, skill-wise. Like it's just the elite class. So when you think about the Navy SEAL for sales, like what are some of the characteristics that stand out to you as someone that would fit that profile? Yeah, totally. Um, there's there's a lot of parallels you can draw, and uh, hopefully I don't offend anybody out there because clearly I'm not I'm not in the military and stake no claim to it. But you know, there if you think about all the things that kind of go along with being um, somebody who's in the military, it's like you make your bed every morning, right? Because that's just what you do. It's discipline. It's having a process. It's all that. And um, I can parallel that to, you know, you prospect every single day. It's just what you do. There's no second guess about it. You don't have to think about it. It becomes robotically like something that you have to incorporate in your every, every single day. Um, but to answer your question a little more specifically, going back to kind of what you mentioned about being an intrapreneur, um, when I, before I joined on to Qualia, while I was kind of waiting for my start date, I had asked, you know, what are some things that I can start to do in the meantime? And rather than giving me, you know, product information or any of the stuff I would inevitably learn, he told me to read um, the book Extreme Ownership um, by Jocko. And, uh, you know, that, that book is all about taking ownership in every single thing that you do, every single aspect of, of your life. And you what you end up finding is the more that you can um, have a, a, that internal locus of like, everything is in my control. Everything is my responsibility. Um, 
you find that you can influence so many areas of your life that you thought were kind of just happening to you before. Um, so um, get, I guess getting back to the question here, uh, having that mentality of, of being a Navy SEAL, it means you have to be disciplined. You have to work your butt off. You have to take ownership. Um, you know, especially when you're building a young company, it's not like you're being handed, uh, you're being handed something where it's just like, oh, we've already done all this here's the rewards like you have to be we're building the thing from scratch and the rewards will probably come way way later so <laughs> yeah yeah what are some areas that sales reps your salespeople usually don't take ownership in or maybe you didn't in the past and, and that book kind of illuminated to you i think one one of the biggest ones and certainly for me is um using your resources you um I mean, I won't say every company, but I would say most company spends tons and tons of time and money to provide resources for employees that never go, that never get used. Um, so for example, like um, one thing that I did when I joined on the Qualia, we have a head of sales operations. Her name is um, JM uh, Wilkie and she is fantastic. She was formerly an SDR manager she is a sales operations wizard. She is an optimizer. She's a sales enablement, uh, enablement gal. But um, when, I, when I was selling as an AE at Qualia, I looked every single week, I had a reoccurring meeting with JM for her to basically look into my accounts and my contacts and my leads, help me identify any blind spots, help me identify if I had any um, sort of clogs in my funnel, so to speak. And um, it was just something that I religiously did and I came prepared for her. I didn't just like sit there and be like, eh, tell me what you want to tell me. Like, I came prepared with action items of how, you know, what I wanted to know. And um, eventually um, after, you know, having those meetings for, for so long weekly, I knew now I, now I had all that information. I actually... Sorry to say, Jam. At one point, I didn't need her for that anymore because I had learned it, and um, you know, I, I couldn't be doing the role that I'm doing today without having learned all that from her. But all that's to say, you know, I I can't say that at the time that all my peers were doing that exactly either. They left that blind spot there. They left that opportunity on the table. And so, whatever company you're at, whether it's your your sales manager, your sales operations person, um, customer success people who probably know the product on a deeper level than you, all those people are there. All it takes is for you to ask for their time and be intentful with it, be intentful with what you wanna get out of that time and what you wanna learn. And I, I promise you, you know, you'll learn so much more than waiting for that training to be scheduled for you or waiting for them to be like, you know, recognize a problem and, and then try to provide a solution. So it's kind of like, uh, I think it was uh, John, John Barrows. I, I watched your John Barrows episode too. And he was talking about how, you know, you can get an entire Harvard education online for free. You're not going to get a diploma, but the information is there. You just, you know, you got to be in temple with getting it. And I think uh, within a sales org, that's, that's true for any rep. And, you know, maybe outside of your direct manager, um, yeah, I hate to break it to people, but people aren't really thinking about you. They're not really thinking about your quota, your sales ops person, your customer success manager, they have all their other 
thing, parts of their job and responsibilities that they have. So they're probably not going to come to you and say, hey, Tom, you know, the AE here, let me proactively come to you with some ideas of how you can sell more. That's just, that's just probably not going to happen. But if you reach out to them and are proactive about it, and to your point, can prove that the, the time that you're spending together is, is valuable, you're prepared, you're ready, you know, you have some idea of where you want to take it, you have an agenda, um, you have, you know, you're following through on the action items that you take. Uh, people are going to want to spend more time together because they know that you're taking action on it. And they can see that it's, you know, directly benefiting you know, everyone around and the company and, and it's helping to grow things. So um, I think it's just another example, a great example of, of taking ownership over, you know, everything in your, you could, you could try to do everything in your life. Maybe you start with everything in your sales process and you can, you can work outside of that because that's hard enough. Um, you mentioned that, you know, early in your career, you were streaky. Yeah. And um, you, you've also mentioned that, you know, over time, you've, you, you're mentioning the process a lot. Uh, one of the, the things that you mentioned in your LinkedIn bio is that you, you have a rigid sales process. You're focused on a rigid sales process. So um, walk, walk me through maybe why you think you were so streaky early on and like what, what were some of the gaps that you had to fill and, and maybe uh, other common gaps that, that reps have to fill. I, I would imagine that, you know, I, I see oftentimes this has happened to me where you kind of go on a roller coaster, right? Like you're prospecting, prospecting, building up the pipeline. Then you spend a month closing everything and you weren't prospecting. So then you have to start back at zero and then you're not closing. And then you're, you're kind of going up and down based on when you're prospecting and, and when you're able to close, uh, depending on your sales cycle. So I don't know if it was that or, or anything else, but I'd love to hear about your rigid sales process and, and, uh, and how you go about that for you and your team. Yeah, um, I'll start, I'll backtrack to, to one of the underlying questions there. I would say, um, you know, part of being streaky uh, in, in my first sales role, probably a lot of it had to do with, again, just not really understanding fundamentally what pipeline management meant, um, how to do it. Um, I think at that time, you know, again, in a super transactional environment, it's, it's pretty churn and burn. It's like, I'm going to call this guy and he's either going to hang up in my face because I'm going to push him to the point of, of he's either going to buy or he's going <laughs> to hate me for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, uh, and, and that's kind of, that's, you know, I just didn't know anybody. Um, I knew I wanted to fight, uh, fight in the conversation and I would fight and sometimes I would actually fight and uh, become very abrasive again didn't didn't know any better. Um, and what I didn't realize is that some of the top performers, most of you know, a huge amount of their deals were people that were kind of in that middle stage of a funnel, um, where they were following up over time, maybe it took three months, six months, um, sometimes it was a year. Um, but those that mid funnel eventually becomes a converted deal if you're managing it right. And um, for me, I don't, I don't think I ever had a, a middle part of the funnel. They're either brand new and straight to close or they're brand new and not talking to me again. So uh, obviously, you know, as your sale becomes more and more sophisticated when you when you start um, selling to bigger organizations, more prestigious or more organized um, buyers. Um, you have to have that. I mean, there is no deal that goes straight from first call to, to a close. You have to kind of walk them, walk them through these stages. So um, that, I think that was probably one of my biggest gaps at that time. 
Yep. Um, Remind me the, the second half of the question. So the, yeah, I guess the second half would be, you know, when you talk about a rigid sales process, if there's anything that, you know, stands out from, you know, your team or, or people that you work with, or, or even just from what you hear around the grapevine of like things that where reps tend to fall short in the process and where you really, if you have any strong beliefs on, Hey, you know, reps should really be doing this a lot more frequently, or here's kind of a common problem that I come across or our team comes across as, as it relates to the sales process. And, and this is even just a selfish question for me. I always have a you know selfish section of the interview, but, you know, trying to treat more like, you know, sales more like a science, uh, you know, and, and I think there's an art form to it too, but really trying to dial in on the science of like the process and guiding them through that. So I'm, I'm just curious if there's common pitfalls that, that you come across. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, the probably the easiest part to look look at in having a, a rigid process is um, just good time management. You know, uh, again, talking about being streaky, it's it's the age old curse of sales reps that once they start working deals and closing deals, they stop prospecting, and then the deals dry up, and they're like, "Oh crap, I got to get back to work." And then they do some prospecting, build a little pipeline, stop prospecting, work on that. So. You, you have to manage your time. You have to block your calendar, you know, have that religious hour or two every day where you make new calls, have that religious hour of the day where you do um, calls to like your building interest uh, type of stages, um, have a period of the day where you um, realistically at the end of the day, uh, block a, an hour of your time to prepare for tomorrow. Um, so many people walk in, uh, or, or I guess sit down in their living room like me, <laughs> walk, walk in in, yeah. in the morning and, and then they sit down in their seat and they're like, okay, where do I start? Um, but you could be so much more successful if you take the time at the end of the day to build your lead list, figure out who you're going to call, make a plan, and then you sit down and you're right after it. So I think time management needs to be rigid. But the the other probably more important part, not more important, but equally important part is um, pitches. I'm, I'm very big on pitches and there's a lot of bad ones, a lot, a lot of bad ones. And um, what, what you end up finding is that not a lot of people really have a plan in, in the conversation they're trying to have when they're pitching on, on a cold call or whatever kind of call it is. Um, you'd be surprised how many of them are like, let me tell you, sorry, I'm bothering you. I know I'm calling you out of the blue. Here's my company name. Here's what we do. Can I have 15 minutes? And it's like, that's not a pitch. That's not a plan. What do you, there's, that you're not accomplishing anything. So um, one thing that I, that I carry on from Scott Lee's to this day, um, probably a lot of people on here have read his, his book, Addicted to the Process. And the sales process is essentially pain, value, urgency, solution in that order. And that's kind of like the underlying model for the conversation you want to have. So um, for an example, um, rather than jumping into a call and saying, um, hey, I'm Ryan Heathy, I work with Qualia, we do title software, let me tell you all about title software. It's more about you jump in and ask directly questions that, um, that would uncover pain points um, without apology, without permission to ask those questions, just jump right into finding pain points. That's the whole reason for the conversation. If you're not going to solve anything for them, they don't owe you any time at all. So once you've found that, you know, uncovered those pain points, 
the value piece is like, okay, well, what, what do you stand to gain by if you were able to solve these pain points? What is that positive future outcome that can come? Um, after you kind of walk through that stage of the conversation, the urgency piece, which I think most people struggle with finding um, ways to create urgency in sales, it's really, really hard. Obviously, the most, um, the cheapest way to do it is discounting. People love to discount to create urgency, but um, realistically, urgency should be if you've found a meaningful pain and you've established what they have to gain by fixing that problem. The urgency piece is what do you stand to lose? What is the opportunity cost if now you and I have agreed that you have this problem and you choose to do absolutely nothing about it? What, it, what do you stand to lose if you just stick with the status quo and, and stick with your pain? And then obviously the solution part is the easiest part. It's whatever, whatever the hell you sell. It's, it's like the yeah. least important part is actually what you sell. So uh, yeah, that's, um, so that said, that, that's really our approach and, and the underlying framework of how we design a, a pitch or a script at Qualia, um, how we go about our conversations. And um, you know, that can translate to any other thing that you're trying to sell in life or you know, day-to-day things you're dealing with in your own life that have nothing to do with sales or business. So. And, you know, the one piece that I really took away from that urgency aspect too, right, is you have to be able to ask that question, mm-hmm. right? You, it's, it's not just maybe you thinking in your head, what does the prospect, you know, stand to lose, you know, uh, you know, lost time, lost money, what, you know, whatever, you know, it, they, they have in their gap from where they are to where they can be with your product or service, but asking the question, make helping them to see that, right? So instead of it being, well, if you sign by end of year or end of month or end of quarter, we'll do X and we'll drop the price, you know, 10% or we'll throw this in for you or whatever, you know, we'll give you an extra month or whatever it is that you can use as really kind of that crutch to get the deal done. Um, you're only, at least from what I'm hearing from you and, and in my opinion, you're only shortcutting yourself to not be able to ask that type of a question to have that type of candor with the prospect that helps them see it in their own eyes of what is the difference and verbalize that. Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, depending on what industry you're selling into or whatever you sell, I think, um, obviously I'm a very proud salesperson, but salesperson is not necessarily the persona you want to give off to your prospect. The persona is an advisor. You want to be somebody who um, has solutions to their problem and uh, knows, understands them on a fundamental level and how they can solve them. So I think, yeah, a salesperson is the first person to throw you a discount if you sign by end of year. But if you're an advisor and you've identified these pain points, you've talked about what they, how they can, um, what they stand to gain and how they can fix it. And yeah, you do have to be able to say, okay, so if you guys, for whatever reason, um, you know, don't move forward with this, you're going to continue to experience X, Y, Z pain points. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be the one looking my boss in the face at the end of the year, knowing we had this problem, we didn't fix it. That's kind of like a but yeah you you have to man if you don't have it naturally manufacture that that level of of conviction and confidence and and be able to give it to your prospect yeah i love that i love that just while we're while we're wrapping up here i'd love to just 
touch on one last topic quickly. Uh, and that's just, just talking about qualia and, uh, you know, we, you can maybe give a little, uh, you know, feel free to give a pitch for, for the business, but I'm just curious as someone that has never worked at, uh, I don't know if you, I think you're a, a borderline unicorn. I don't know if you've hit the valuation or you're just short or you're in that status though. I've seen our, you know, that where you're, you're on the list, like you're one of those really hot, fast growing companies, startups. You've been there for almost four years at this point. So, I, I mean, I'd just love to hear, like, what's it like to be part of such a high growth engine like that? It just must be a ton of fun. It is a ton of fun. Um, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on my four year anniversary here in, in the new year at Qualia and so much has changed. Um, but it is really interesting at, as a company, you know, there's a lot of industries out there that are ripe for disruption. Um, you know, if you think about hospital software, if you've ever been in the hospital, you look at the software, it's like, that looks terrible. I don't know how these people are going to keep me alive. If you look at, <laughs> you know, you go into the DMV, everything's so slow because their software is terrible. If, um, you know, I have a couple friends who work in, in personal and business insurance and they're, they're running like DOS programs to manage your insurance program. So, um, there's a lot of industries that are ripe for disruption. Um, but when it comes to like figuring out a product that you want to sell, if it's easy to create the software, it's not, you're always going to have a plethora of competitors who can do things as, as good as you have created them. And, um, you're never going to really like come out on top, if that makes sense. So, um, speaking for our founders here, when, when they founded our company, they were looking at all those different, um, areas and industries that could be disrupted. And it just so happened that they, they landed on real estate and more specifically to start title insurance because it's incredibly hard. It is highly, highly regulated. Every state, county, you know, do, does things differently. Um, you're accounting for, you know, trillions of dollars in escrow funds every year. The documents are legal documents. And so it's, it's a really, really hard product to build and support and, and all that. But because of that, um, you know, we don't have any other competitors in the space other than what's been there since the eighties. So all of the prospects we're reaching out to have been using their same software by and large since the eighties, nineties, whatever. And, and the software really hasn't changed. Um, and for whatever reason, prior to Qualia, people were okay with that. So now uh, we're giving these, these legacy competitors um, a, run, a run for their money and they're kind of scrambling to try to figure out how to come back, but it's difficult for them because they're built, they're built on like a, um, you know, an on-premise model and they can't really up, they can't upload every seat license for every user that they've ever had, or they can't update it. So all that's to say, um, starting out at Qualia, you know, we, it was difficult because there was such a long-standing reputation of just how people do title insurance on a software. And we heard things like, you know, if you were worth knowing about, I don't really know about you. You're the new kid on the block. I'm not going to be a guinea pig for you. Uh, we had competitors making up just complete outright lies about us, like selling customer data and things like that. And, um, you know, that, that made it really, really difficult to sell, to start out, even though it was like a light years ahead product. If you fast forward four years now, we're, we're a thought leader in the space. 
you know, prior to COVID, we were going to, you know, hundreds of conferences a year, uh, sponsoring those conferences. Uh, definitely, you know, the the benchmark software in the space. So it, it, it didn't take too, too long for the complete, um, you know, perspective of what Qualia is and who Qualia is to change and come out on top. So it's a really exciting time um, to be here. And I'll, I'll, I know we're getting close to wrapping up, so I'll wrap up my last thought on Qualia. You know, uh, my team sells title, title insurance software. Most people have no idea what that even actually is. But, you know, when you go and you buy your home um, and they give you that huge stack of documents and you have to sit there and sign them, all of that background work is being done by the title company to make sure that when you buy that house, you actually own it and there isn't some sort of history where somebody else would, would actually have a claim to your property and be able to take the property. Um, so that's what the title company is doing for you. And the title company interfaces with every other party in the transaction. So they are talking to both real estate agents, the lender, the buyer, the seller, the surveyor, everybody. And so they're really the hub. Um, so all that's to say, um, there's a reason that we started with the title companies at Qualio. It's because they're the hub. Now that we've put this platform in place where um, it's a cloud-based user-friendly platform that's basically the, the core operation of how their whole business is done, now we can begin to introduce products um, to lenders and to realtors that, that are synchronized. And so that's kind of, for anybody who's curious, that's kind of like the, the next future of Qualia at this point is we're expanding outside of the, the title company and really focusing on the vision of just making the real estate transaction easier for every party and, and a lot more accessible for the consumer. I love it, man. I love it. Well, everyone, uh, definitely make sure to check out Qualia. Ryan, where's the best place if people want to chat about sales, if they want to hit you up about Qualia, if they have questions about uh, where to vacation in, in, in the Caribbean, uh, where, where should they contact you? Yeah, look me up on LinkedIn. Um, we, we can chat on LinkedIn and, and certainly um, I'm open to like a quick Zoom call or uh, a phone call with somebody so long as you have a agenda. <laughs> all right nice i love yeah. that and not interested in grabbing coffee and like talking about the weather <laughs> yeah me neither all right man i appreciate it uh this was great yeah thanks tom it, it's an honor it's an honor to be on here and uh certainly love what you're doing with, with the podcast so you have a you have a fan right here hey i appreciate that thanks for checking out that episode of the millennial sales podcast we're in the home stretch november and december of 2021 let's close this on a strong note please make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening here to help me grow this show and provide better content for you. Otherwise, hit me up on LinkedIn, Tom Alamo. I'll see you there. Peace.